everyone, and welcome to the Space Trader Podcast. My name is Matt. I'm the creator of SpaceTrader.com, which is a classifieds-style site designed to connect small business owners and help them create their own referral network. It's 100% free and easy to use. Just head over to SpaceTrader.com and get started by browsing listings or create an account and post your own. I'm also the host of this podcast. In each episode, we like to feature a small business owner and uh, spend some time learning about who they are and why they chose the uh, line of work that they're in and hear any lessons that they've learned along the way. So this is episode five, and if you missed the last episode, I really encourage you to go listen to it. We had on Samantha Gardner and Maddie Mantha, founders of Happy Pillar, which is a soon-to-be-released mental health app that, uh, that helps parents and children have better, more productive play sessions through the power of conversational AI. Super cool stuff, very talented ladies, and uh, again, just another big thank you to both of them for spending uh, some time with me. So that leads us to this episode's guest, and like I said just a second ago, we like to feature small business owners, but in this case, we're going to be talking to a nonprofit, and our guest is Amy Stevens. Amy, welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me, Matt. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, this is a delight to talk to you, and and uh, you're you're right in my backyard, like almost literally, right? Yes. Yeah, you're on the east side of Cincinnati. Yep. Yep, and uh, so... You are involved with a nonprofit called Nature Nurses, and just before we get started, I wanted to um, just really quickly kind of read something that I had from the website, and then we'll uh, talk to you about you know your involvement in it. And the uh, I think the stated goal on the website says Nature Nurses Wildlife Rescue's mission is to rehabilitate and care for native Ohio wildlife. We believe that all lives are worthy of a chance and deserving of care when sick, injured, orphaned, or displaced. Our focus is returning those animals back to the wild where they belong. In the work of doing so, we'll educate the public on conservation and how valuable it is to live in harmony with nature. I love yep. that mission statement. Yes. Very true. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure you do too, right? That's why you're in. Yes. That's yeah. right. Exactly. So tell me, uh, so what is your title or what is your involvement with uh, Nature Nurses? Okay, so Nature Nurses is a group of wildlife rehabilitators throughout Southern Ohio. Uh, Nature Nurses is owned by Savannah Lewis out of Mason, Ohio, and she is the holder of the nonprofit. We as individual rehabilitators, we are licensed individually by the State of Ohio Wildlife Division, so we have to hold our own permits. I own a permit or hold a permit called a category two, which means I have specialty animals that I'm allowed to care for and I can take in adult injured animals. Um, There is a permit one and we can talk more details about the differences, but we each have our own permit and we just come together collectively as a group under nature nurses. You said level two and level one. Is that something that um, you does each individual person have a level or is that each individual uh, like does nature nurses have like a level two or is it individuals inside have different levels? Yes. Individuals of nature nurses as members have different level levels and you can either be a level one, a level two, or be a sub permittee on somebody else's permit. So those are the options to be a nature's nurse. Very cool. And so you said that you have the level two clearance and that allows you to take care of and take in certain animals. Is that right? 
Yes, yes. I specialize in what is called rabies vector species, RVS species, and I can do um, injured adult animals as well. So anything that would be injured or anything that would be adult. Um, and I specialize in specific animals. Um, my number one sp species that I rehabilitate is raccoons. I do, I rehabilitate bats, fox, possums, mink, and weasels. <laughs> I love that list. Is there something, you're going to have to tell me all the things because I need to know everything. Sure. So when you say level two is uh, injured in adults, and then you listed uh, a bunch of animals, right? And yes. are these animals that are covered under level two, or are these just ones that you've kind of chosen as your specialty? Yes, those animals are covered under a level two. They're also covered under the rabies vector species. Um, and yes, there are other animals that I do not rehabilitate, such as groundhogs, um, squirrels. I don't really do a whole lot of squirrels. I don't rehabilitate eastern cottontails. I don't rehabilitate beavers. I don't rehabilitate chipmunks. I don't rehabilitate mice. So I'm more of the advanced animals and animals that... Um, are uh, much larger animals and may require a lot longer captivity before release. So that is in incredible because I think if, if anybody was listening to this and they heard the list of, uh, of animals that you listed, they would think these are animals that who would want to rehabilitate these animals. Right. And you yes. said me, yes. you raised your hand. How yes. did that happen? Oh my goodness. Yeah, definitely a long story. I apologize for that. Um, somebody trying to reach me, <laughs> probably <laughs> calling me about an animal. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how I got started was about seven years ago, I was at my mother's home and a baby robin had fallen out of the nest and it didn't have any um, flight feathers yet. It was a fledgling. It wasn't able to fly on its own. I was obviously not able to take that animal back to the nest. I brought it home and I just kind of figured it out on my own. Like, what do I do? Um, I've had some, a little bit of experience somewhat, uh, you know, illegally at the time. We didn't know that there were such things as wildlife rehabilitators. For example, an example, a friend of my husband's cut a tree down with baby squirrels in it. They brought them to me. My husband ran over a nest of bunnies at work. Their eyes weren't open. He brought them home, you know, so just kind of like tinkered with animals, you know, throughout the years. But this baby Robin got to a point where I really didn't know what to do next. So there are other wildlife rehabilitator groups in Cincinnati. And at the time, the most prevalent was um, Second Chances Wildlife Rescue. So I called their hotline and I told them who I was. And I said, hey, I got this baby Robin. I don't know what to do. And they coached me on what to, what to do to handle it, to get it to go on its own. And it, the nice lady who talked to me on the phone spoke to me for several hours and said, hey, I think that you would be great being a wildlife rehabilitator. Would you be interested in doing this? And I said, sure, I'll give it a try. So I had to go on her permit for a while. And a few days later, she brought me six baby raccoons that were still needing to be bottle fed. And I fell in love and my life has changed ever since. So you fell in love with raccoons. That was the one. Yes, right? and totally. What was it about the raccoons that you said, this is what I like the most? And maybe dispel something for me uh, that you would think, what is the common misconception about raccoons? 
Sure. The mis biggest misconception is that we have rabies in raccoons. We do not have rabies in raccoons in Southern Ohio. Now there are counties in Northern Ohio along the Cleveland, Pennsylvania border that do have rabies or have had a rabies incident over the last years. And so those counties go dark and are not allowed to rehabilitate raccoons. So that's a big misconception. But what we do have in Southern Ohio that people think are rabies is what is called distemper. The animals act like they're drunk. They have an upper respiratory infection. They have green gunk in their eyes or gunk coming out of their nose, green discharge. And people think that that's or they're out during the day, they come up to a human, they're unafraid of people. Oh, it's rabies. No, it's probably distemper. So what made me fall in love with these little guys is that they are in the bear family, for one, and they are also part monkey, if people don't realize that. So in their DNA and in their genesis, you can um, trace them all the way back to like the rhesus monkey. And they each have their own individual personality and they bond with you and they're just very playful and very loving and um, just great little critters. I mean, they're, they're, um, they're fun. They're, they're messy. <laughs> they get into a lot of things, but once you, you know, you can easily train them, you know, they, they, they're, they're easy to rehabilitate as far as, you know, they're omnivores, they eat anything and um, once we get them to a certain age, then they go back to where they came from so we can repopulate the earth, you know. And so our goal is to make sure that we can rehabilitate those animals. And it's my way of kind of giving back to what we take from the world. That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, that's cool. And, and I, I like that you're, uh, you're working with animals that aren't um, maybe considered – you know, the cute, the cutest animals of all, you know, of the world, right? You're not, uh, you're not handling tiny poodles and, and baby kittens, right? You're taking in animals right. that may be otherwise somewhat maligned by society, yes. right? Exactly. Yes. And, you know, there's so many rehabilitators and dog rescues and kitten rescues all over. There's just not, a, there's hardly any or not enough, I should say, wildlife rehabilitators. So now we cannot take animals that are deemed nuisance. So a lot of people think that raccoons are nuisance animals. Hmm. So, for example, if someone finds a raccoon in their attic and the raccoon is given birth or made a nest in their attic and they've called a critter getter to come in and remove that animal from their attic. And then the next day or a few days later, they hear the babies and then they call us saying, Hey, we, you know, we had a trapper come and get the mom, but now we have the babies. We can't take animals from a building that is deemed nuisance, mm. which means that, you know, they truly have to be orphaned. Um, you know, for example, um, an arborist might've cut a tree down and, the tree has fallen on mom or it has spooked her and she's ran off. We've tried to reunite. That's our, always our first goal is to reunite with the mother. Um, something's happened. We try, it doesn't succeed. Those animals have to come in. A mother's been hit by the road, hit by a car found on the road dead um, or a situation where, um, you know, mom was found in the yard or somewhere else on the property. Somebody might've poisoned her or another animal might've attacked the raccoon and then the babies are found so that's how we get the babies in or they come in as injured animals <clears throat> i've seen a lot of adult injured that i've had to rehabilitate and everything from a peanut butter jar stuck on their head to you know being hit by a car or um just just somehow injured i had a an injured animal one time that came in that was um had a all of its skin and muscles um 
was removed from its arms because it had get, had was caught in some um, <clears throat> metal roofing on top of a building and it, it laid up there for days and and all of, she tried to get herself free and she removed all of the skin and muscles from her arm so that's like an adult injured that I got in one time so a multitude of different things like that but raccoons to me are just the best animal to rehabilitate they really melt your heart yeah I think that's cool and is some of it when you say they melt your heart and you say raccoons are, you know, the thing that you're working with the most, um, do you find that some of that is because they're not, uh, you know, the, the animals in society that people love the most? Is there something maybe a little more lovable about them that they are, again, mischaracterized or misunderstood a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I... I think that just because they they do have their individual personalities and they do want to interact with you and they're very playful towards you, um, you know, squirrels don't have that kind of demeanor. You know, squirrels want to bite you. If you get bit by a squirrel, I mean, you know, they can chew through nuts. They'll break your bone. Um, <laughs> right. You know, groundhogs are not very cute and cuddly. Chipmunks are the same way. They'll they'll bite you as soon as they can. Um, um Another example is we don't ha we don't have the ability or I don't have the ability to rehabilitate birds. Um, birds are uh, federally protected and have to have a different type of permit. So we don't do songbirds. But there are there are uh, folks around in the area that have the necessary permits to do songbirds. We don't rehabilitate coyotes or um, white-tailed deer. Those hmm. two animals are not native to Ohio, so we cannot take those animals in. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I have people on my permit that only do possums and they think possums are the cutest, best animal ever. You know, they're really cute and they interact and they're friendly. Um, and possums are unique because they are a marsupial. So, you know, it just kind of depends on your own individual likings. And, you know, I just happen to start out with raccoons and that's kind of what I specialize in. But I'll tell you, my favorite animal out of them all are bats. Bats are amazing animals. Um, they also are another mammal that really bonds to you. Um, they, tr they are very trusting and, um, very easily to train and they're so critical and important to our environment. So, you know, um, bats are, are hard to come by as far as when we get calls. Um, but we've raised everything from a lot of injured adult bats to baby pups that have fallen from the nest and been successful at it. So what kind of reactions? I'm, I'm curious about you and we'll get to I want to know things about, you know, the organization specifically, sure. but just a little more about you before we get there. Uh, what is the reaction in your line of work that you get from people that, you know, do people are people super supportive of what you do? And or do you find some people just don't quite understand it or is there a mixture? No, I think that. I think they're very supportive. Um, you know, this is a hobby. We don't get paid for this. We rely on donations and it's just a public service that we do for the good of the environment. We partner very well with our wildlife officers, you know, when they have cases that they have to bring to me. Um, I can tell you my wildlife officer has had to confiscate many raccoons from people who have raised them illegally as pets. And when they're get, when they get caught, you know, that they can get into ser serious trouble. So, you know, we take those animals in and rehabilitate them and make sure that they can wild up and go back. But yeah, most of the time people are very supportive um, because it is kind of somewhat new and exciting. And our wildlife rehabilitation has been around for many, many years, but it's just not very popular. Um, so still a lot of people don't realize that there are wildlife rehabilitators out there. So, you know, they don't 
they don't know to even look for us. But um, people that do know that we do this are very supportive. Um, you know, they want to, they, we, we encourage them and they try to help us any way that they can through donations or our Amazon wish list or come in to volunteer. We have some people, for example, their sons were in Boy Scouts and they built our fox cage or another person, her, her sons, her sons were in Boy Scouts and they built our, our raccoon den boxes and another folks family, they built our squirrel boxes. So, you know, they can help us in other ways. So it's been much appreciated. Is this something that has been, um, I know you said that there've been other ones that have been around for, you know, or this has been around yes. for a while, but has nature nurses been around for a long time too? I wouldn't say a long time. I think we're probably about four years or five years in okay. existence. The okay. longest has been second chance here in Cincinnati, uh, second chance wildlife, um, they're um, located out of Fayetteville, Ohio is where their headquarters basically are at. But again, it's just a network of, of rehabilitators all the way from Dayton, Xenia, Southern Ohio, you know. So we also have a wildlife emergency services team. They're on the west side, more towards like Franklin, Warren County area. Um, there's Tiny Critters recently just started as a, a small group that does, you know, um, smaller animals like the bunnies and the squirrels and the chipmunks. Uh, we have a lady here at Eastgate, also in Batavia, St. Melangale's Small Mammal Rescue. She recently got her bird permit. We have a lady here in New Richmond called uh, Tracy Brewer. She does Ride the Wind Bird Rescue. We have Raptor, obviously. They're located here in Milford by the Cincinnati Nature Center. They specialize in only the hawks and the owls and the animals that are raptors. So, you know, everyone just kind of specializes in certain animals just because the caging for those animals when they have to go outside are different from animal to animal. Mm. And, you know, most people, again, because we're not a sanctuary or a true wildlife center, we're all work from home, do it from home volunteers. It's kind of difficult to have 15 different cages on your property. So you kind of just pick and choose a few animals that you can accommodate their needs. When you, when I got the email from you, that's, that was like, Hey, uh, you saw my post on the Batavia yeah. thing. And I think you reached out and, uh, I started taking a look at it and I thought, how in the world did I not know that, that this existed? So I'm glad I'm at least in good company that you said, there's a lot of people that don't know that no. this sort of thing even exists. Um, I immediately showed it to my youngest daughter. She loves nature. She loves all the animals that you're talking about. Um, and she was like, that's really cool, you know? And, yes. And so do you have a chance to partner with any, uh, like any younger people at all like that? Or do schools have any interest in at least mentioning something like this to, to their students? Yes, we have partnered with Grant, or I have partnered with Grant um, Career Center in the past where their veterinarian students that are trying to be like vet techs um, needed volunteer hours or just kind of like some hands-on experience dealing with animals. Um, they come to my facility here and just help me um, do things here at, at in my, you know, in my home, um, you have to be 18 or older in order to become a wildlife rehabilitator. Um, but as long as, you know, we can accommodate certain needs of that volunteer, you know, we always welcome someone to come and help. Now they won't be able to, you know, bottle feed a baby or pick up the animal in some situations, but they'll at least be able to see what it requires and entails and help us in other ways. So let's talk about that for a second with the volunteers. That's 
is that something that you're always looking for volunteers or yes. is it kind of pick and choose timing? Yes. No, we're always looking for volunteers, especially for people who really want to move forward with getting their getting trained to either be on someone's permit or go to the necessary courses and classwork that's required to get their own permit. So yes, there's not enough of us, whether it's our organization, Second Chance West, there's just not enough people. We're always, always turning away animals. And that's very disheartening and sad because you don't know what ends up happening to them because we have to just decline their calls or tell them, I'm sorry, we're full. You know, we just don't have enough hands-on people to accommodate and help with all of the calls that we get, especially now baby season is always March through May. And, you know, every baby under the sun is being bored right now. So, um, yeah, it's just really tough. It's, it's that, that's the most disappointing part of the job is not being able to save everything or can't take everything that all the calls that you get, you just can't take them all in. Like right now I have 24 raccoons. So, I, I, you know, that's so incredibly overwhelming for me at this point, because I also work full time, you know, but then you get the call for one. It's like, can you just take one more? Yeah, it just kind of pulls at your heartstring. It really hurts. So, you know, we're always looking for people who really want to do this. And then we provide them the necessary training and we, you know, give them hands on experience and you know, help them get started. And then if they want to pursue getting their own permit, then they can do that as well. So there are courses that are required to do that. So outside of somebody that said they would like to be a, a vet tech or, you know, really be in this field, like maybe for their profession and they, again, want some hands-on experience or whatever. Um, what, what else do you look for in a volunteer? What kind of person are you looking for? We definitely want somebody who has um, the necessary accommodations for their home to take in take in animals. You know, we don't want to portray that these animals are, you know, part of your family and pets and that you can just let them run around your kitchen or, you know, sleep with you and rest with you on the couch or take them to bed or, you know, you do have to be a, you know, professional, you know, uh, appearance when it comes to raising these animals and you know you have to have a specific room in your house set up away from your family and your family pets you know and it's difficult to do this if you're living in a subdivision like where you're at you know a lot of subdivisions have all these homeowners associations so you can't put caging outside um, you know these animals require some big caging and another thing that we look for in volunteers is this is this is a costly endeavor. Uh, you know, this is a lot of money out of your own pocket. Um, everything from, you know, the supplies that you need, the formula, food, you know, just everything to get that animal ready to get released. Some animals are just, you know, a month or two, six weeks, two months, they're ready to go. Raccoons, six months, you have to keep them in your captivity. You know, it's a lot of... Um, it's a financial burden sometimes. And so you have to make sure that you have the right people who's willing to take that on. Yeah. It sounds like uh, the kind of people you're looking for are people that really, really love the idea of it. They're passionate about it and they're willing to put in their, their time and their talent and their, even their treasure, right. To, yes. uh, you know, to, to yes. not just, Hey, I like animals. Where, where can you plug me in? It's probably That's right. bigger than that. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah. And time is a big issue too. I mean, fortunately I do work from home. Um, so that, that helps me accommodate the needs when I'm having to rehabilitate animals. But if you have somebody who works full time outside of the house, then they may not be best suited to take in babies that are needing to be fed every two hours. So, um, you know, you have to kind of meet the needs of the person with the type of animal that they're allowed to, to, to have. Yeah. And especially for example, like another thing is with bats, you know, we don't allow anybody to take bats that don't have their pre-exposure vaccinations for rabies. I, I have my pre-exposure vaccines for rabies. So, you know, that's another hindrance. You have to be pre-vaccinated for rabies exposure before you can do bats. And bats are another, you know, kind of a protected species. You have to get extra training and a different kind of setup and, you know, approvals to do bats because they're so incredibly important to the environment. Yeah. You mentioned uh, a minute ago about where you keep the animals and you can't just keep them in you know, anywhere you want to don't let them roam around be in the kitchen. I feel like there's gotta be a few funny stories about situations where you're like, why in the world would you let this happen? Or without naming any names, I mean, are, are there any situations where you're like, what in the world were you thinking? Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, don't yeah. At yourself I, or anybody. <laughs> no, I can. Yeah. It's, it is scary, but you know, it's, it's kind of like, people have the best intentions in mind, right? That's kind of how I got started. I didn't know about wildlife rehab. I picked up a baby bird or my friends brought me baby squirrels or my husband brought me home baby bunnies. I didn't know. So a lot of people just kind of do try to think of it doing things on their own and then realize, oh, well, maybe I can get in trouble for this if I get caught, right? So yeah, especially with people who baby raccoons are are so incredibly popular, <laughs> you know, from all the movies and the Guardians of the Galaxy and, you know, all these commercials, they really started to get like mainstream in the last five years. Raccoons are just so incredibly popular with all kinds of you know, television and movie shows. So people will find these baby raccoons or rescue them. Or like you, like I mentioned, you know, they have, they've killed mom or trapped mom. And then now they found the baby. So they do it on their own. And then they realize, oh, okay. Now this animal is digging a hole through my drywall or my, this animal has now, you know, torn up my carpet or, you know, has dug a hole through the door or now has really become aggressive after a certain period of time, they get their hormones, right? And so now they're biting and they're starting to urinate all over the house and mark their territory and climbing into cabinets and knocking things over and breaking things. And so then they're like, oh, or they're posting pictures on Facebook. And that's another issue. People get caught, you know, posting all these social media thinking oh, it's so cute, but then somebody turns them into a, to the wildlife officer and they're like, oh no, you can't do that. It's illegal. So yes, I've had everything from somebody who was homeless that was had a raccoon as a pet and it was pretty devastating to that person to have that animal taken away from them mm. um, to, you know, people who had the best intentions of just thinking it was okay to raise them. They didn't know about wildlife rehab and, and then they get, they get in trouble. Um, so yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> kind of the good and the bad of that part of it. <laughs> right. Was there, was there any like one specific event or situation that caused this particular organization to be founded? No, I mean, at the time that we were founded, there was only second chance wildlife in, around here in Cincinnati. And um, there was just a group of people and that were friends that had already had their own license and permit and decided that, 
you know, we wanted to kind of create our own organization and Savannah made it as Nature's Nurses, which was a great, you know, name. There is a, there's a Nature's Nursery kind of up near Cleveland, but Nature's Nurses, I mean, really that's truly what we do. We nurse these animals back to health and we're trained like nurses, we're trained like vet techs. So I think it was just the lack of enough organizations and enough wildlife rehabilitators in the area that caused Savannah to try to, to get this organization started. So uh, we've grown now exponentially, exponentially over the last five years. I think we have over 60, 65 members. So, you know, again, um, everything from people that just answer the phone to our hotline group, to people who are committee directors, to the people that are on the board of directors. We have transporters, we have rehabilitators, we have people that are volunteers. So we're a very well-organized team. Now, what has been, you know, maybe the the most difficult thing about keeping a, a nonprofit like this going? Is it is it just finding the right kind of volunteers to staff and, and all that? Or uh, is it is it funding? You know, what what's the hardest part? Is it being in compliance with some of maybe the regulations and things like that that you have to adhere to to, you know, to do it legally? What's what would you say is the hardest part? I think the hardest part is the volunteers. Um because again, this isn't anybody's full-time job. This yeah. is all of us as our as our hobby. So, and I can speak to that probably a lot for any of the other organizations too. You know, there's not a center for anybody to take an animal to. Like in Columbus, there's the Ohio Wildlife Center. Somebody can take an animal there or the Kentucky Wildlife Center. We're out of our home. So the volunteers, you know, some from people to just answering the phones, I think that's the biggest challenges to, you know, ways to um, get animals transported when finders can't bring them to a rehabilitator, um, to just having enough people doing hands on with animals. You know, again, because we're constantly turning away, we don't have enough people who can be a wildlife rehabilitator. And that's, those are our most challenging. Everything revolves around the volunteers. It seemed when I was just doing some research and I ended up on the Facebook page, it seemed to me that just from a community uh, perspective, it seems like this is something that people really love though. And it's something that people really support. I, that was the overwhelming feeling I got by looking through some of the Facebook posts is people are really into this. It's something people really respect what you guys do. And it's something that people know is needed. And I think yes. that, that was, I was, I was shocked that I didn't know about it. Let's put it that yes. way. Because yeah. I, when I was looking around, I thought this is incredible and, and people are really into this and they love it. Yes. And um, I just thought that was really cool. So that's a, has to be a testament to, you into the rest of the organization, the volunteers for what you do and how you go about your business and, and how it's perceived by the community and those that follow you. Yes. I mean, we have a social, um, uh, you know, a social, um, a social committee who makes our Instagram and Facebook posts, you know, we're very, um, cognizant and respectful of the wildlife laws you know when we are showing any animals we we make sure that we have protective equipment on and gloves and that we're not making them look like pets you know some some organizations do that so you know we want to be respectful of the fact that you know this is a job that you know our goal is to get this little animal fat and healthy and back out as quickly as possible um you know so our goal is to just 
make sure that the public is aware for one that rehabilitators are out there and two um they another part of our what we try to do as much as possible is educate the, the public you know if you have a mother in your attic don't call a trapper we can tell you what to do to get that mother out and safely remove her babies you don't have to kill the animal just because it's an inconvenience to you raccoons are just one of those examples i mean it happens with squirrels it happens with groundhogs a lot it happens with chipmunks tearing up the yard it happens with moles right moles tear up your yard there are ways to humanely live together with those wildlife and not kill them and i think that's everyone's first you know automatic instinct is oh we got a raccoon in the garage let's go kill it trap it or call a critter getter we don't have to do that there are seamlessly an un, an an endless amount of ways to allow that animal to go free on their own and we can help with that you know information so can we come out and remove the animal for you? No, we're not going to do that, but we can tell you what to do. Um, and I think that's what's probably the most difficult part is that I feel like I wish that we could reach more people to let them know. And I'm not saying I'm trying to get critter getters out of business, but I can tell you that there are over 900 licensed wildlife control operators in the state of Ohio, 900, and there's less than... 80 licensed wildlife rehabilitators. So you do the math on that ratio. We're killing way more than we're saving. Um, so if we can just do a, a little part and replenishing the, the world, I think that's our goal. Yeah. Well, they're obviously here for a reason. And, and I'm sure you could explain those if anyone was willing to listen long enough to yes. you know, uh, why, uh, rather than like you said, it's just a nuisance um, and, and say, Hey, let me think a little bit past this and let me think, you know, to, um, to the repercussions of, you know, like you said, the environment, um, and let's, yes. you know, let's do it a different way if we can, and let's at least explore those options. So I, I love that you guys are out there. I love that you're providing that education to people and, you know, at least helping them if they choose not to go that direction, you know, at least you yes. provided them with an option rather than, yes. you know, um, just thinking, Hey, we gotta, you know, call somebody and, and kill this animal. Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. It is a shame. And, you know, with the wildlife control operators, you know, they're they're required by law to, you know, euthanize that animal when they do. Uh, and they're being paid for that animal you know, to be come in and because it's deemed a nuisance. So, you know, there are other alternatives where you can do one way doors. There are some companies like Scram out of Columbus. They do one way doors, So the animal goes out, but they cannot come back in. You know, there's so many successful stories, hundreds of them I could tell of, of successful reunites, not only with baby squirrels, but with, you know, uh, we do that with fawns because we can't take fawns in, you know, to the baby raccoons. I mean, the mother's instinct on these animals are amazing, you know, and so they do not want to be separated from their little ones. And people also think another misnomer is, oh, if I touch it, I've put my human scent on this animal and now the mother won't come back. That's a farcity. I mean, that's totally nonsense. Does not happen. The mothers do not care about your smell. <laughs> Trust me, they smell a lot of other things out in the wild. They don't care about human scent. That's not going to stop them from coming back and picking up their little animal. But, um, you know, it's just, uh, a way of us to just helping educate the public to say, let's coexist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling very exposed in my, 
animal knowledge right there because if you had held a gun to my head and said, if you touch an animal, will it come back to its young? I'd have told you, I don't think so. <laughs> so I'm feeling pretty exposed right now. <laughs> you got yeah, me. You got doesn't me. Ha- doesn't happen. Nobody Don't cares. Me. Oh my gosh. Um, a mother bird doesn't smell a human scent on its baby bird. So see, I you mean, just took my next question. I was going to say, well, what about the birds though? And I no, almost no. didn't even say it. Thank God you you led me there. Yeah, um, no birds definitely. <laughs> <not>. <laughs> Pick that little baby bird right back up off the ground, put him right back in the nest. He'll be totally fine. The, the funny things that you just, it becomes urban legend and, you know, it, yes. just the way it permeates society. So what are, uh, tell me what's one of the most fun, um, rewarding projects. That's maybe a little bit outside of the norm that, you know, the day to day that you go through, um, that you've had a chance to be involved in. Is there anything, uh, that you could tell me that you've had a chance to be involved in that's, maybe a little bit different? Well, most recently I received my education permit. So I have the ability to go out and teach, you know, children or schools or nursing homes or the public, you know, on certain techniques of the animal. Um, I currently don't have any education animals under my permit, but just the ability to go out there and um, talk about wildlife rehabilitation um, as an option and even as a career option. We just recently did a career day in Bethel for the um, intermediate school children. They were fifth graders. And a friend of mine who's on my permit, she used to be a zoo director in South Carolina. So she has some big game experience with grizzlies and pumas and elk. And so she did her career day as a zoo director. And I did my section on wildlife rehabilitation. And there are, you know, the ability to make this as a career. In some situations, there are many rehabilitation sanctuaries and wildlife centers throughout the United States that hire wildlife rehabilitators as a job. I volunteered for many of those places. So, you know, if, if just again, to educate the kids that's really been fun or special projects to let people know you know start them young right let them know about um because i think that generation definitely wants to do more about the environment i noticed that from like my daughter like we talked about 22 from that age down you know they're really into the environment they're cognizant of what's going on in the world and they want to be able to coexist and live so if we can teach them to respect wildlife early and young and when they're younger then there's a chance that we won't have you know massive extinctions of lots of animals that we're experiencing now so do you find that right now there's maybe a shift in that um i don't know i guess a shift in what uh, people think about animals and because you mentioned like you said you're trying to educate the younger people right um, yes. Do you find that maybe some of, I don't know, not to attack anyone, but maybe sort of an older generation is like, eh, you know, yeah. but it is what it is. This is what we've always done. Whereas maybe That's some right. of the people that are coming up right now are more open to yes. these methodologies or these ideas than, than maybe yes. some of the people from, we'll call them yesterday. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I definitely seen a shift. I've seen a shift from my daughter's generation on down. You know, these kids are very interested in what happens to the animals or, you know, uh, I had somebody call and say, oh yeah, my, my son told me that there are wildlife rehabilitators and showed me how to Google them. And I found you kind of thing, you know? So, um, yes, I definitely think that they're more aware of wildlife coexisting with animals, you know, the impact of climate change and just everything in reference to how to 
give back and coexist is is much more prevalent with the younger generation than it is with my age and up because like you mentioned it's just easier to pay somebody five hundred dollars and have them come in and trap and kill the animal and be done with it and who cares so um I, 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 I hope that that trend continues. I know that the laws are pretty strict. Um, it's, it's very challenging sometimes with some of the laws of what we can and cannot do. Um, but, you know, each state is different depending on that situation with the laws. Um, but, you know, our goal is to do what we can while we can and let people know that we're here and we don't have to kill every animal just because we don't like it or we it's in our house or it's in our garage or it's in the yard tearing up my tree or, you know, it's, <laughs> right. it's sad. Who have been uh, some of the MVPs that have been just critical to the success of the organization that you're a part of? Yeah. I mean, um, definitely, um, you know, many of us started out under Second Chance and Second Chance, you know, partnered with the zoo back during the raise and release days. The zoo used to have a raise and release program back in the 70s and 80s. So that organization has been around for a while. They're very reputable. So, you know, a lot of us kind of spawned our career and our aspirations of doing wildlife rehab from those folks. So definitely those, I would say kudos to that group. And a lot of these other wildlife rehabilitation groups are also stemmed from people that, you know, was at second chance. Um, you know, from our volunteers, our phone, our phone team, I think is, is critical as, as an MVP because they take so many calls and, you know, again, we're all working people, so we can't answer the phone every time. Um, but we try to get pictures. We try to get text messages. Then we have different Facebook groups that they, they put that animal out, say, Hey, there's a raccoon here. There's a possum here. There's a squirrel here. You know, so it's a lot of communication and intertwined, uh, um, contact with everybody who can take in those animals. Um, and then, you know, we partner with the wildlife division. It's very critical. Again, most valuable MVP would be our wildlife officers. It's very important that we maintain a great relationship with them. You know, they bring us animals, they partner with us, they have to come in and inspect us to make sure that we're doing everything correctly. We following our paperwork and everything. So that's, that's a, a, another critical piece. And then, you know, just anybody who can volunteer and donate, um, those are also MVPs because Without the funding from the public, anybody who's willing to make a donation or people who are willing to buy us a bag of dog food or a can of Espelac or, you know, a baby bottle here or there, or give us a donation of towels or puppy pads or just anything, you know, we are so grateful for that because that just means less money out of our own pocket. How did the pandemic affect you guys? Did it, because people maybe were home a little more, did you find that there were more people that had time to volunteer or were people more stuck inside and not willing to come out and help in a way that they may have in the past? Yes, we had a decrease in volunteers, but an increase in animals because I think people were the only thing that they could do going outside was just, you know, to go hiking or, you know, um, spending more time in the woods uh, seemed to be a big thing for families to do, uh, you know, to kind of get away camping and hiking and just, you know, anything to get out of the house. So, but we were also restricted on what animals we could take in. And then, you know, we had to kind of restructure, uh, you know, our contact, right? We couldn't let a finder come into our house to bring us the animal. They had to leave it in a box on the front porch or, um, you know, it was less face-to-face -face kind of contact. 
Um, but, you know, we were very cognizant knowing that, you know, our diseases like COVID can be passed on to the animals. So there were some animals we weren't allowed to take in at all. And then we also had to be aware that if we did get COVID, then, you know, we had strict protocols um, set forth by the Ohio Division of Wildlife of what we needed to do if we were to contract COVID, because then those animals had to go to some someplace else. So it was, um, it was stressful. I do, I, I can tell you that I, I had a raccoon pass from COVID. Mm. So that was, that was hard. Um, it, there, you know, and many animals have contracted COVID. They've found them in deer. You know, we've heard about the lions and tigers in the zoos and the gorillas in the zoos that got COVID. I mean, that's very, very true. Um, and so, you know, we had to be very cognizant of that if we, if we got sick, you know, that our animals had to go someplace else. So we were pretty strapped during that period. So we're, we're thankful that it's over, but we didn't have any, any, any decrease in the number of animals that we took in. It was still just as many as any other year. Yeah. What would you tell somebody who's out there that, uh, not just a volunteer, but somebody that would be interested in, uh, starting a nonprofit, you know, like nature nurses or even something, you know, similar or, um, maybe not even in the same uh, industry, but something else. I mean, what would you tell them? What is some of the advice that you could give them? As far as being a nonprofit or doing wildlife rescue? Uh, let's just go with nonprofit. Okay. The nonprofit piece, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to the nonprofit. I mean, you, 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 you can't just kind of just do this with you and your family and kind of wing it. Um, you know, we're thankful that we have a board of directors. We have committee directors. We have a social media people team. We have a transport team. We have, um, you know, um, a finance team, <laughs> you know, so it's not just, um, kind of create one and be done, you know, it costs a lot of money and time to get a nonprofit for one. And then you have to be very well organized. You have to be, you have to file your taxes. You have to get donations. We have a fundraising group team. Um, we have a public relations team, you know, to go out and do the public relations pieces. Um, so it, the, I guess the most challenging part from a nonprofit is that you have to make sure that you have enough people to be willing to do everything that you need to keep that nonprofit going, because that's definitely not easy because you're, if you don't have funding coming in, then you're not going to continue to do business. It's not like, you know, you're selling a product that you're going to get paid for an item that you're selling. You are having to constantly, you know, um, reinvent yourself or do things differently in order to make sure that you stay afloat with the donations that you need. And that's the case with any nonprofit. We partner with a lot of other dog rescues and kitten rescue companies. You know, we, we provide each other supplies, you know, we, we share each other's supplies. We donate things to them. We can't use, they donate things to us that we can't use. And they're all kind of struggling, you know, those kind of groups that are nonprofit, but you know, the more that you can network is also critical. One of the dog shelters that we partner with, they partner with Marriott and they get all the Marriott sheets, right? Mm -hmm. They partner with Hertz, Hertz um, company. When Hertz has, you know, misrun like puppy pee pads, they get a whole semi of puppy pee pads. They partner with Petco and PetSmart for like their food when um, the food bags are opened or returned. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to a nonprofit. You can't just create one and think, okay, I'm now a nonprofit sit back and enjoy the benefit because it's a lot of hard work. One of the things that you've mentioned a, a bunch is, and what I really like about this is, uh, 
you know, it sounds like there's a lot of networking that happens and it sounds like there's a lot of mutual respect that each one of you guys have for each other and all these different organizations and how you partner with companies like you just mentioned. And I, I just think that that's great. I think that, you know, people need to know that, right. That some of these yes. companies that they, that they frequent, like you said, a Petco or whoever yes. it is and, you know, like hearts and stuff like that, you know, they're, they're doing more than just selling products, right? And yes. these, some of these other organizations are doing more than just fitting narrowly into their lane. They're also partnering with other groups. And yes. I think that's great rather than just siloing yourself and doing your own thing. It's really cool that you guys have support and support each other uh, along yes. the way in your, in your very specific things that you do. Yeah, there's definitely some unique nonprofit groups that are out there we've come across across the United States, like one of the nonprofits that we recently um, came across and are working with is some some people that are artisans and crafters hmm. and these it's a crafting company it's crafters that work out of their home but it's a nonprofit and what these crafters do is they hand knit little like uh, like little bags or little bowls for like wildlife to go in or they do they do a lot of sewing they'll sew our hammocks they'll sew our little um you know uh, sleeping sacks or you know uh enrichment toys so you know that's a non-profit for people that are sewers and crafters that do that as a nonprofit, and you know they do that in order to make these cute little items and things that we need is for wildlife. Um, another nonprofit that we partner with is a company called Baby Warm, and what they do is they purchase um, incubators, different size incubators um, from the manufacturer over in England, and they get them into the United States, and then they help us do a fundraiser for that incubator, and then those incubators come to us as rehabilitators so that we have these incubators for the baby animals to go in. So, you know, a lot of the wildlife rehabilitators go through baby warm, you know, again, partner with them and get their baby incubator when they become a rehabilitator. So many, many, uh, you know, nonprofits like that across the United States that we partner with. With everything going on in the world, that's just crazy. And yeah. you don't have to step outside uh, to even see it. The world just seems crazy from time to time. I, I love that you've got somebody out there that is knitting <laughs> little yes. hammocks uh yes. for little baby animals to hang out in yes. and um and donating yeah. them and just, working with you guys i i just think that that is super cool my dog yeah, is because love think that. about it <laughs> yeah pouches i mean possums live in a pouch right so possums naturally want to be inside of a pouch right and then squirrels they live in a den box so they like to go in a little you know hidey hole hut thing that's soft and has a little hole in it raccoons like hammocks and so, i mean you know all these different animals have all these different like little you know, sleeping ways, you know, in the, in their caging. And so these crafters, you know, hand make those things for us as wildlife rehabilitators. So <laughs> yeah, just one of those examples. So what's next uh, for nature nurses? What's, is it just kind of keep going and, and keep, uh, keep plugging away or is there, is there some roadmap on where you guys are going next? You know, um, we're plugging along. Um, our goal is always to get more volunteers. And um, I think that we want to, you know, get to a point where we can be out into the public more yeah. now that COVID's kind of over with, you know, we used to be able to go, there was a, a, a program in Cincinnati over Valentine's day called my furry Valentine. It happened at the Sharonville convention center. Heard it's a that, big yeah. pet, pet, you know, puppy kind of go get an adoption. Well, we used to set up a table there, you know, and talk about wildlife rescue. There's others, you know, um, there's like a, 
a couple runs like people take their dog like to mount adams and they run with their dog and it's you know it's a big event or whatever they do the halloween thing with their pets you know we'd like to be able to be out in the public more you know so if we end up our next step i think in our future roadmap is if we can get you know more people and more volunteers we want to be able to get out into the public more and do those kind of events because that brings awareness not only to the wildlife but it brings awareness to us as wildlife rehabilitators and then you know it just gets our name out into the public for us you know to be able to partner with people as options for coexisting so that's great yeah i think if you can encounter people out there and and tell them what you're doing and demystify some of it yes even for somebody like me who I love nature. My, you know, we've got lots of pets. My daughter has a turtle and I mean, she loves all these things. And, um, you know, to, to hear this is, it's super cool. I, I love it. I love the idea that people have a chance to hear more about it. And, and again, demystify, you know, some of the, uh, the animals that maybe, again, maybe society doesn't love all that, all that much and, and right. what their importance is yep. and, and, uh, the best ways to handle them. Uh, you talked yeah, about, I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say another another um, rehabilitating group here in Cincinnati is Arrowhead Reptile Rescue. They're very reputable. They rep, you know, they rescue the lots of turtles, <laughs> but also <laughs> snakes and some other animals as well. So I mean, you know that you know they specialize in those kind of animals. So we partner with them too. So you know, there's definitely different niches of of wildlife rescue around in the area for sure. So. Yeah. So you mentioned fundraising a couple of times and, and donations. Um, what are some of the ways that people can donate? Um, do you have uh, events and things like that that are specific, maybe an annual event, things like that that people can be involved in that are fundraising? We haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, okay. You know, we, we probably, you know, would like to entertain some of those ideas if we have the manpower in order to create that. Um I know other organizations, there are some other organizations that do have those kind of big events. We're not at that point yet, um, but people can help us by, you know, using Amazon Smile, you know, and using Nature Nurses as an option on their Amazon Smile because then a portion of that goes back. Um, your Kroger rewards points you can put in, you know, with Nature Nurses so that your Kroger rewards um dollars can come back to nature's nurses um obviously you know any kind of monetary donations through facebook paypal you know any of those kind of things um even just simple you know if you have leftover dog food or canned food or you know if you're out at a garage sale and you see somebody with you know, the selling crates and dog carriers and dog toys or bowls you know pick them up donate them to us you know we need fleece blankets we need you know just anything kind of things like that if people can just help anything small is better than nothing at all so but yeah i mean the it would be really nice if we could have a, a big fundraising event um we're just we, i don't think we have enough people to do that at this point but hopefully our roadmap is we'll get there <laughs> yeah absolutely and and you know what i see from just again the research that i've done is you know, it looks like there are lots of people that are out there. So I would say that would be super cool. I think you guys would, uh, would probably do very well once you get to that point. But you heard it from Amy, people that are listening. They need people. They need money. There's plenty of ways to donate. And for people that are out there um, that, you know, you say, 
There's all these different ways to donate to all these different organizations, but man, I just don't know where my money goes or I don't know this. And you think about some of these big organizations when there's yes. maybe hurricane relief and things like that. And people always get, exactly. worried. you know, what I like about you guys is, I mean, you're, you're right in the backyard of Batavia, especially for people that are yes. local to this area. Um, yes. You're all volunteers. You're working out of the house. It's, it's very obvious what you're doing. Um, again, it's, we know we're not talking about some mega corporation type of event. You guys, no. are, you know, you're making an impact with what you're doing. And I love that. And I hope people love that too. And, and can see that just coming through with every word that you've said, you know, today. Yes. And now if people Google wildlife rehabilitators in the state of Ohio, they're going to get a list by County of every person's name, their address, their phone number, what kind of animals that they take in. You know, it's not just us that need volunteers and help and donations. It's, you know, all of the wildlife rehabilitators. So, you know, we have groups, every, everybody, you know, there's Brown County, Claremont, Hamilton, Warren, Butler, you know, all the way up in Dayton, Xenia, Greentown. I mean, all the, all over every there's wildlife rehabilitators everywhere. Columbus, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're listening from, there's a wildlife rehabilitator somewhere close to you. Donate something, donate your time, donate some money, donate a bag of dog food. Much appreciated. All right, Amy, what else have we, uh, or should we have talked about that we haven't talked about yet? Or what is it that uh, people need to know that we have not covered yet about nature nurses, wildlife rehabilitation, Maybe you personally, maybe the snake that's uh, sitting in the background that I can see <laughs> that nobody else will. <laughs> what else yeah. do we need to know? Well, one of the things that people don't know about wildlife rehabilitation, they're like, okay, I'm interested, but what is it, you know, like, how do I get started? Or, you know, what, what does it take to do? Well, a couple of things, you know, you definitely need to spend some time with a local wildlife rehabilitator You're at their house, you know, make sure that this is for you. Don't just kind of do it haphazardly. You want to go and volunteer, spend some time, see it live in action. You might, you know, decide then what animal that you would be interested in starting. You do have to attend training classes. There are training classes sponsored through the Ohio Wildlife Rehabilitators Association. So there are training classes and ongoing training classes that are you are required to attend, um, you know, to either get your own license or be on someone's permit. Um, and one thing people don't know about with these animals is there's a lot of poop. So this isn't all just about fun and games and playing with these animals. There's a lot of, this is a dirty job. I'd like to be interviewed by Mike Rowe, to be honest with you. <laughs> I would rather be on a dirty job episode because I didn't realize when I started this, how much poop that I'm cleaning up. There is more involved with cleaning up poop than there is rehabilitating the animal. Let me just put it out there. <laughs> we'll, we'll tag Mike Rowe in this and we'll see if we can get oh him to, uh, to reach gosh. out. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing is like, okay, I should have rethought this because there's a lot of poop. <laughs> yeah. And it's dirty. Yeah. Uh, how supportive is your family with that? Are they, are they all super helpful? Or are they like, Amy, like, this is your deal. I am not cleaning up raccoon poop today. Oh, sure. Well, my husband, he helps me bottle feed, but he is also the one that helps me with all the mechanical stuff, putting the cages together, um, putting the den boxes up, you know, helping me with the gravel and, you know, everything that I need with the outside cages. But he does help me bottle feed. Now, my daughter, you know, I started this when she was in high school. So her and her friends just thought it was the greatest thing ever. You know, and she fell in love with baby squirrels and she, she loves it. I mean, she tells all of her friends and brags about it. <laughs> I do this and then they all want to come over and like, okay, you know, but uh, yeah, so they're very supportive, but that's again, another, you know, your family has to be 
okay with this. This isn't just a one person job. You can't go into this thinking, you know, because a lot of wildlife rehabilitators, I can tell you, have been divorced. It got divorced because yeah. you know, this this is something, um, not only is it a financial, you know, it, it affects you financially, you know, some people, depending on the animals and how much they're involved, they, they don't take vacations, right? They can't leave the house. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're feeding around the clock. Some of these animals have to be fed every two hours. That includes being in the middle of the night, especially when they're newborns. Or if you're, if you're trying to take a vacation, who is going to babysit these animals or who can you get to help you come to your house when you're away, you know? So it's, um, it's taxing on relationships and, uh, you know, you have to be a strong family and you have to be strong mentally to be able to deal with a lot of death. Uh, a lot of these babies and animals die, which is very difficult to deal with, especially I take it personally. And, um, you get what is called compassion fatigue. It's the same thing that happens mm -hmm. with doctors and nurses when they lose patients. You know, you get so attached and you've spent so much time and energy and sometimes money on these animals and then they die. It's very disheartening. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you definitely need a, a big family support mechanism in place before you can start a wildlife rehab because it's, um, it takes a lot to, to take in these animals and do what's needed to get them back to the wild. So again, sometimes it's, a few weeks to a few months and they're okay. Others takes a lot longer, you know, especially if they're injured or like with raccoons, we have to keep them six months. It's a long time. Yeah. I think it's really cool that just even the way you describe the family unit and everybody kind of having to be all in, if it's something you're going to be into. And I, I like that you provide that with a very, as a very honest disclaimer to people, because somebody that's looking for volunteers and something might be tempted to say, Hey, we'll take who we can get. Right. And, you know, rather than setting somebody up for, for failure, you're really looking for people and you're trying to be honest with them and say, Hey, look, this is what it takes. If this is what you're looking for, you know, we'd love to have you, but you know, this yeah. is something that's everything, uh, very involved with everybody. Yeah. And that's what happens when people want to come and start being on my permit and they want to be a wildlife rehabilitator. Okay. Well come and prove it to me, right? Come and sh you know, come and get your hands dirty, come here to my house and help me, yeah. you know, come here and put in the hours and put in the work and prove to me that you're worthy of this and that I can trust you and that you're going to be a hard worker and that you're, you know, I can trust you to take home animals because I'm not just going to just say, Oh, you know, we're so desperate. Here you go. Take this baby, fill out this paperwork and you're good. No, you got to prove to me that you've got the right setup that your husband or your you know loved one or your significant other your family you've got the right house you live in the right subdivision you live in the right area you can put up a cage you know i i don't need somebody to just bottle feed a baby and give them back to me in two weeks right no right. so yeah it's um that's what's hard that's what's hard to find in people is the people who have the the time the support and the resources yeah do you find people appreciate that honesty or do people maybe have sort of a, I guess my thought is, is that you probably have more pie in the sky people that are looking to adopt, yeah. let's say a family pet, like a puppy yep. or a cat that maybe got overwhelmed. But I would think that maybe there's a little bit less going into the wildlife region where people are probably coming at least a little more aware of this isn't exactly the, the same kind of rodeo as just having a new kitten in the house. Right. So hopefully you, exactly. you don't get as many people that are, um, unaware yes. of the intensity of it. Yeah. But the good part of this is that you, 
we get to set them free, right? Yeah. I mean, you know that there is an end goal, like it's two months, three months, six months, whatever. This animal will no longer be a burden on you after a certain period of time. You know, when you're when you're fostering for kittens or fostering for dogs, you don't know how long you're going to have that animal until it gets adopted. So, right. um, you know, with us, at least we have an end in sight. But again, um, you know, it's a little bit different because it is wildlife, right? I mean, you're not, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with, um, possible zoonotic diseases, you know, you're dealing with, you know, worming and issues with poop and, um, you know, depending on the animal, the type of caging and where they have to be released back, you know, raccoons have to go back to where they came from. So I'm with bats, you know, fox, same thing, you know, they're very, um, very regulated is the right word to use. So, um, but yeah, it, you don't want to just haphazardly enter into this thinking it's all cute and cuddly, kissy, lovey dovey with the animal. You got to get them wilded up, right? You, you have to yeah. understand how this animal exists in the world. You have to understand when they get their hormones. You have to understand when to lose that contact and to make sure that that animal knows what it needs to be in the wild for when it goes released, that it's not going to come up to another human begging for food. And that's our goal. Yeah. Well, I think this is fantastic. I, I hope people are, when they, when they hear this, they're like me and they already feel educated and want to learn more and want to learn more about if it's right for them and their family to volunteer. And even if it's not, and they say, Hey, I can't be involved in this personally, as far as, you know, taking animals in, um, I can certainly help, you know, in a lot of different ways. And I hope people have a chance to do that. Um, so yeah, this has been great. Very educational for me. I appreciate it. This is yeah, super cool sure. and Thanks. I love it. Um, again, anything else uh, that we missed at this point or do you think we covered all the bases? I think we covered all the bases. Yeah. Yes. This is awesome. Definitely. All right. Well, tell everybody if you would uh, where they can find Nature Nurses and the best way to reach out. Sure. Um, we have a hotline number, which is area code 513-601-9617. You can find us on Facebook, Nature Nurses Wildlife Rescue. You can find us on the web, Nature Nurses Wildlife Rescue. I think we even have an Instagram site as well. So um, also, if you just Google wildlife rehabilitators in the state of Ohio, you'll come up with a list. You'll see many people's names with nature nurses on it with the hotline number or other volunteer or I'm sorry, other rehabilitators in your county. Everything's listed by county and then what animals that they take. So um, my only advice to people who may be listening is, you know, don't kidnap baby right <laughs> it's got a mother let's try to find a way to get it back with its mother that's our number one concern because i can tell you these babies aren't the same in rehabilitation as they would be with their mom so our first goal is to try to make sure that we can reunite so don't kidnap just because you think it's alone especially right now it's really difficult with deer we're getting hundreds of calls oh this baby deer this baby deer well you'll never see mama deer you know she puts this baby in a spot for a reason it's safe it's not going to get killed by coyotes leave it alone <laughs> you know so don't kidnap animals <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's my last piece of advice yeah and one more question and then we'll i'll let you go so uh is it okay if people just call and have a question they don't know you're not gonna you know crush anybody for not knowing the answer to something or yeah. they feel like they messed up or they feel like they did something wrong and they're like "Uh oh i need to call but I don't want somebody to be mad at me or be upset. No. Like you're no. like, please, for the love of God, just call me. Yes. Right. And I would yes. love to help you. Yes. 
Yeah, especially like people don't realize that we can give such, you know, free advice on getting animals safely evicted from your home or your garage or wherever that they might be this nuisance. And we're not the only rehabilitator group that will give that advice. You know, all the wildlife rehabilitators will give that advice. We don't want you to call the trapper and killer, you know, critter getter and pay $500 to come and kill mom. You know, we want to reunite. So um, any kind of advice where they're willing to give no, no, no question no question is ever dumb. What is that saying? You know, there's never a dumb dumb question. Right. Right. Always (laughs) call and ask. We'll be more than happy to help. Just realize again, we're volunteers. We're not going to always be there to pick up the phone, but we'll may ask you to text or send a picture or communicate some other way. But, you know, we do the best we can in getting back to people as timely as possible. And I'd love for your family to come and see my animals We're so right down the street, said you so. had a 12 and 16 so let's make arrangements for you to come and check out what i have and maybe your girls could be volunteers yeah as a matter of fact there's uh there's one right there this is the turtle uh person so hi <laughs> so Alrighty. Well, uh, that wraps it up for this episode. And again, Amy, I want to say a big thank you for taking the time to be uh, a guest and a big thank you to everybody out there just on behalf of you guys that has been helping and volunteering and donating and supporting. Um, just, I don't think it's uh, too much to say, but just please keep doing that. Do more of that call help any way you can. And, um, yeah, I'm sure that they would very much support it. So, also want to say thank you to everybody that's been out there listening to this program. If you want to support us, there are several ways you can do that. The easiest, of course, is to like, follow, and share the program. We're available on every podcast service out there, Spotify, Apple, Google, you name it. Um, again, we can be supported financially, too. You can head over to anchor.fm slash space trader and use the support button. And then uh, lastly, if you are a small business owner or a nonprofit like Nature Nurses uh, or even an entrepreneur out there, and you'd like to be a guest on the show, I would love to hear from you, and we would love to get you on. You can find us uh, at Space Trader on Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, our website, spacetrader.com. So, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. Once again, thank you, Amy, very much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Thank you very much. And get out there and visit them and uh, give them a call. I'm sure they'd really appreciate it. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great rest of the day. 